Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. And it's on kind of a different color paper so that you can recognize it. Um, So these are all the citations for the scripture that are under discernment and are part of the conversation for called General Conference. And the sheet will show you the days in which I covered what in a sermon. And if you missed it or you want to go back and review it, there is video of the 930 sermon on our Facebook page that you can access from our webpage. If you go to our webpage, you can have an audio recording of the sermon from 11 o'clock. And so if you would like that, you can do that. And it also shows you the tentative schedule for the May Wednesday evening study series that we're going to do to cover the remaining five texts. So they're all printed on here so that you can see the text in its entirety in the New Revised Standard Version, which is the standard for the United Methodist Church, and you'll be able to follow along. We are going to be recording my teaching portion of the May series, and we're going to have that available the same way um, via the church website and on our social media, so you'll be able to engage that there. So if you want it, there it is. On the back side, it also lets you know that after the completion of the May series, the final um, meeting in May will be a called church conference, which means that every church member will have a vote for we need to elect a delegate, a lay delegate, to annual conference in June, which will be held June 27th through the 29th in Roanoke. So this is kind of the first opportunity that the Virginia Annual Conference and our local churches will have to pass any measure, to pass a resolution or a response to what happens at called General Conference and anything that comes out of General Conference. So that's a very important position to fill. The Book of Discipline states that the delegate to annual conference shall have been a professing member in good standing of the United Methodist Church for at least two years. So you have to be a member for two years. Um, I'm not really sure what they consider to be good standing. Um, If you're a member, hey, you're good with me. Uh, So I think we're okay there. If you are unsure if your membership would qualify you to be a a nominee, to nominate yourself to go, be willing to go, then ask me, not at the door. I do not have your membership status like memorized at the door. But if you email me or call me or swing by the church, we can, we can verify your membership status if you are curious about that. Um, we are also asking that you've engaged what we've been doing as a church here, either been present or listening or following up to everything so that you're well equipped to know what's going on, not only here in Crozet, but across the denomination. So um, if you have any questions about that, would love to talk to you. Happy to do that. Um, but commend all of that to you. So again, our lay delegate, The number of lay delegates you have is based upon the number of clergy. It's an even one-for-one ratio. So you have one clergy person, therefore you'll have one delegate. And then after June's annual conference, hopefully we will be receiving a part-time associate pastor, which means that then you will have two clergy, and any called or annual conference after that, you will have two lay delegates. So your, your perspective and your voice and your voting power is on the rise, I should say. So we commend all of that to you, and hopefully this will be helpful. Um, You are welcome to share this with people. If somebody wants to, 
there's no problem with that. And you can, I think it's posted also on the web page, right? You can get this on the web page. So all of that is available to you. And um, without further delay, let us continue with our scripture. Please join in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our first reading today is from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our second scripture reading comes from the letter to the Roman church by the Apostle Paul, chapter 15, verses 13 through 16. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself feel confident about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, on some points I have written to you rather boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace God given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So we have been going through a rather difficult sermon series, and today is clearly a departure for that. Um, and thank you to all of you who have been on this. It's been difficult to plan and prepare for. Uh, it's probably been very difficult to hear, and I guarantee you there were some Sundays where it was difficult to preach. But we are now moving into a place where we have been equipped and now we are being empowered through the ministry of the word to take our rightful place in prayer and in hope. One of the beautiful things about the text today is Paul's emphasis on hope. And when you recognize the context under which he wrote the words that I just read to you, you will realize just how profound his belief and his hope is. Because the Roman letter was the last letter that Paul wrote, or in some cases dictated. This is, these are his last words. He is a prisoner in Rome. He knows that he will not leave Rome alive, that they are going to condemn, condemn him to death, that he will be martyred for his faith. And yet knowing that, this is the second to last chapter in this letter. Some of his final words are about hope. 
He is letting not only the Roman church, but all of his churches know, all Christians, that the greatest thing that we have is hope. And we have it because of God's love. We have it because of God's forgiveness and God's grace. If God wasn't willing to do all of these things because God is our God, then there would be no hope. We can rest in knowing that at the end of the day, no matter how dark and dreary, no matter how dire the circumstances, how depressed we may feel, how full of fear and anxiety we are, that at the end of the day, we can still have hope because of our God. And Paul is able to preach this, able to teach it, able to write it and speak it and convey it because it is true. He believes it with every fiber of his being. You don't mince words when you know that they are your last. You convey what is truly important to you. And despite all of the times where he says he rather boldly instructed his people, all the times where he wrote to them, and in some cases he was a little harsh, he recognizes this, you know. Some of us as ministers of the word get a little fiery. Happens upon occasion. Paul's been, I know, right? Paul's been known. And so here, though, he is just so focused on edifying and encouraging and equipping them with the promise of hope. And the scriptures are full of occasions when God's people were scared. They were frightened. They didn't know what to do. And then God's word comes upon them for hope so that they can tether themselves to this. That is why United Methodist churches all over Virginia, all over the world, have crosses because they are a sign of our hope. We lift our eyes to the hills for there our help comes. And if we simply look down here and we don't focus on the cross, then we get so tied up with the emotions that other people are feeling. Their anxiety becomes our anxiety. Our fear becomes theirs. We have all this transference of negative emotion and energy. And when we focus on the cross, when we meditate on it, we can rest for it is a living, breathing reminder that God did not forsake us that God remains ever-present with us. Notice Jesus isn't on the cross because Jesus is with us. Jesus did not stay on the cross or in the tomb. Jesus rose from the dead so that he might remain with us in a new and powerful way. And in this we hope. So as we are working toward Call General Conference, which, as I said, is going to start on Saturday, I'm flying out on Friday, I try to keep myself busy. I'm one of those people where if I don't keep myself busy, then I get to be just an even bigger hot mess than I am on a normal day. So about two weeks ago, I started packing. I'm all packed. And then last week, I, I spent a lot of my time kind of going back over my checklist and adding to it. And I thought, ooh, you know, after all day at Call General Conference, I might be like really upset and I might need to calm down. And so I went and bought a travel candle that has lavender in it. So I can just be like, thank you, Jesus. We're just going to relax over here. Um, so, you know, we try, to, we try to make plans. And as we're getting closer, clearly the anxiety is palpable. And the bishops knew this. That's why Bishop Lewis, our bishop, said, I want our leaders, both clergy and laity, to be a non-anxious presence. I want you to try to center yourselves and keep people tethered to the hope of the gospel so that we aren't eaten alive by fear and anxiety. And that is truly one of the roles in Christianity. We are always focused on this as clergy, as ministers of the word, but it's never as apparent as it is in the instance of our task 
at officiating funerals. In the church, it's a worship service, so it's called technically a service of death and resurrection. And when we are doing this, our central focus of worship in that moment as we officiate is to comfort those who mourn. That's our purpose. We are tasked with sometimes an insurmountable task of trying to bring hope to people who are mourning, who are suffering, who are emotionally frail and sometimes exhausted, people who are still wondering and processing about the loss of their loved ones, someone they respected, to whom they were grafted, that they loved and they held tightly, and all of a sudden there's this big loss, and our job is to try to bring hope to them in that moment. And that is really difficult And the only way that we as clergy can do that is because God is with us and we have to open ourselves to allow God to be at work through us. Because sometimes the things that we are asked to do are just overwhelming. I mean, I've officiated funerals for people I didn't know. That's never easy. I've had to officiate funerals where the person died in such tragedy that you're thinking, God, how am I supposed to even do this? Where do I begin I've officiated funerals for people where the family weren't even Christian. That's awkward. You know, there, there are times where you just don't know what you're going to do. And this was never more true for me than when I was serving my last church. And a funeral director I regularly worked with called me up one day and said, Sarah, I need a favor from you. And I said, okay, what do you need? And they said, I have a six-month-old baby that has died of SIDS. And the family, they don't have a church they want clergy, somewhere, somehow, they're connected to the Methodist church, would you be willing to come and do this funeral? And, of course, your first response is like, no, absolutely not, don't ever call me again. But I said, why did you call me? And he said, because of all everybody, I thought that you were going to be able to do this. Great. No pressure. So I you know, got off the phone, and I'm thinking, God, you're going to have to help me, because I don't know, what am I supposed to say? We have a tragic death of a six-month-old. We have two parents in their early 20s. Dad is in the Navy. They're completely cut off and separated from their families because they, you know, they've been um, sent to Norfolk. What, what am I supposed to say to these people? What do you say to people who lost their baby? And finally, in the midst of prayer and grasping at Scripture, God's voice came upon me and said, you're going to tell them what the Scriptures say. You're going to tell them that I am holding their baby in trust. You are going to tell them that just as they will never forget, I will never forget. And that the day of resurrection is the day that I will return that child to them. That I, all that I have held in trust and all that I have loved and nurtured in this time, that they are separated, I shall restore. And they shall hold their child again. That's what you will tell them because that is my message. And it's in that moment that you realize that when we open ourselves up to God, that the answer comes that God does provide. When I was weak and insufficient, when I had no words, and I'll be honest with you, there were moments there where I didn't have any faith that I was ever going to find the words. God provided. Out of my weakness came God's strength. And that is what we are asking for right now in the United Methodist Church. We are asking, recognizing that we are weak and frail and insufficient, that we are motivated by our own good-meaning hearts, but that is not necessarily equivalent to or congruent with God's will, and so we are yearning for God to show us the way. And most of us are getting to the point now where we're like, God, we're like a week out. You might want to show us the way, like now, because we've been waiting. 
And the thing that's hard about the church is that a lot of us are planners. We're people that know, kind of want to know what's going on. How many of you have booked a flight to a foreign country and didn't have an idea of where you were going to stay or what kind of currency you were going to need? No. When we're going on a journey, we make some plans. I mean, we may not book up every minute, but we want to have an idea. Here we are going to St. Louis in February, and we're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see. God will show us the way. And a lot of us are wrestling with the human side that goes, I'm starting to not have so much confidence in this. I'm starting to feel anxious. I'm starting to feel concerned. And I'm seeing and I'm, you know, I'm seeing it in my colleagues. I'm seeing it in the delegates who are striving so hard to ensure that they, I mean, they have a heavy burden on their shoulders. 22 people, 11 clergy and 11 laity are getting ready to represent all of the Virginia Annual Conference and the largest gathering of Methodists in the world. And they have to go there and they have to cast their vote for or against in support of whatever it is that is on the floor and up for vote. And these poor people then have to come back and are accountable to us. How many of us are busting down the door to have that mantle on our shoulders? But this is the task to which they find themselves tethered. And they are standing only on Jesus Christ, and they are upheld on that firm foundation by our prayers and our support for them. Because here's what I discovered. As I have been working towards this, and I thought, okay, so the last Sunday before I go, after all the stuff that we've been through, and man, I feel really close to you all after what we've been through. I realized that we needed to have some hope. So over six months ago when we were planning this, I planned to do this hope thing. And then I started to get towards this day, and I'm like, okay, God, I need you to help me flesh this out. And then on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, we had this little seminar in here where we were talking about church structure, and there were over 30 people in here. And one of the glorious things happened that always happens that God manages to do for Christians and for believers throughout history. When we gather together, the Holy Spirit is upon us and it's moving and you can feel, and we were gathered in here, so we were in some Trinitarian space. And all of a sudden, I had an epiphany. I had this moment of clarity that I would never have if I had not gathered with people. Because I had been going over all this stuff. I mean, I prepped a worksheet. I had been doing all of these things and thinking and trying to be brilliant for you. And I didn't have this thought until we were in the midst of this together. And it occurred to me that what we are looking for is the global church, what we are yearning for and striving for and tearing up everything, trying to find, we have found in Virginia. We have found it here. And it occurred to me, and I kind of threw it out there, and I've just been grasping it ever since, is that the world is looking to find a way to be united. We have discovered that, and we have been living that out in Virginia for over 50 years. We have discovered this. And long before that, before there was even a United Methodist Church in 1968, Virginia and the Methodist Episcopal Church has been the largest conference of Methodists in the world. And up until 2008, we were the largest. Now we are tied for second place with North Georgia, and a conference in Africa has overtaken both of us. But we are in the top three largest conferences in the world. 
And North Georgia comes from a state that is divided. There's North Georgia and South Georgia. So even Georgia isn't united. But a state that is as geographically large and as crazy diverse in culture, in community, in economic prosperity, in history, in dialect, as Virginia, has managed to stay united. And we are not all the same. No one would think to ourselves, let's craft a commonwealth in the United States of America. Let's craft it, and we'll throw in Northern Virginia and Richmond and Crozet and Danville and Roanoke and all of Hampton Roads. Oh, and the Eastern Shore for some flavor. And just in case we haven't covered the diversity of the Virginia dialect, let's get Tangier in. No one would say this. And yet here we are. And we don't just exist kind of. I mean, nobody would have ever thought that if you had taken a clergy person born and raised in Northern Virginia who's lived in Williamsburg twice and came from serving a church in Norfolk for eight years, yeah, let's send her to the foothills of Crozet. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a good match. No one would ever have thought that that would happen, that it would work. And it wouldn't work anywhere else. Except in Virginia, because in Virginia, we know that what binds us together is that we are in this together. And Virginia history shows us this. And the world has consistently looked to Virginia for answers. Even when the colonies decided to revolt and be in rebellion against the British Empire and the monarchy, when they decided to do that, the other colonies were going, wait, we got to find out what Virginia's doing. Where are you going, Virginia? They wanted to know what we thought and how we felt and what we were going to do. They looked to us for guidance and leadership because something has always been special about Virginia. I have lived in Pennsylvania. I have lived in New Jersey, both North and South Jersey. I have lived in New York. And I can tell you, of all the places I have lived, of all the places I have visited, there is nothing like Virginia. And I choose to live here. I choose to be in Virginia because there is something very special about this place, that people that are this different and this diverse can find a way to be united. And that is our message to the global church. And that is what we need to be able to share, that what binds us together, what made it work, this quirky, bizarre pastor who's been all over Virginia, I haven't been to Danville yet, we'll see what my future holds for me. But this quirky pastor shows up here, and let's be honest, if I had shown up today looking like the revival of Motown, or Bay City Rollers, depending on your music taste, if I had shown up looking like that, y'all would have been like, what in the world just happened? What in the world? This is not going to work. And yet, this works. This works because my heart, which has been transformed by Jesus Christ, resonates with your hearts that have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, we know that together, our work, our ministry, and our mission is about sharing this heart with Crozet in the world. That it will be transplanted all over Virginia. How many of you have been members of another Virginia United Methodist Church before Crozet? How many of you, right? And now you're here. So clearly you're going on to perfection. Well done. But if what you had encountered in another Virginia Methodist church had not resonated, had not made you feel loved or supported 
or challenged or encouraged, whatever it was that made you commit to them, that keeps you in Methodism, then you wouldn't be here today. And our Methodists here in Crozet will go on to other places. They will go to other places and they will be in other churches, other Methodist churches here in Virginia because there is something wonderful. They are not all the same. I mean, I have yet to meet one of my colleagues that looks like me. I'm going to give it about a decade. We'll see. And yet, we are all together. We are all very different people. I, some of my best friends and colleagues are from Tangier. Some of my best friends and colleagues are from places in Virginia that I had to Google because I didn't even know where they were. And yet, we're all Virginians. We are united. We are Methodists, and we stay together. No other conference in the world is this crazy diverse. None. And yet we have managed decade after decade to not only stay united and together, but to fulfill our purpose, to maintain one of the largest communities of membership Methodists in the world. That's what the conference is looking for. How do we do it? I don't know how you convey that, that we understand in Virginia that there is something deeper than the way I talk or my perspectives. I mean, you've seen election results. You know that we don't all agree. And yet here we are. You know that Virginia is not of one mind. You know that sometimes you have to have somebody from like the Piedmont translate from Tidewater to the mountainside over here, right? Because we don't all agree. Sometimes we have to come together and figure out how we're going to make this work because it is a bizarre setup here, and yet it works. It works, and people are blessed by it, and people will continue to be blessed by it. The mantle that we as Virginia churches and Virginia clergy and lay people need to lay on the shoulders of our 22 delegates is that they need to go and speak Virginia. They need to go and be upheld by the promise that they are filled with hope, that they are our hope, and that the world, the global church, can find hope in and through our Virginia Annual Conference. That we have figured out something here. And that we understand that at the end of the day, no matter where we stand on any topic, that we are one. And that is what the world needs to find unity. Jesus said, you are the body of Christ. You are my body. Not I'm going to clone myself and everybody's going to have a different perspective. But that we are united in Christ. And if we are willing to send that message, and I told 930 worship that I was going to send the video to all of the delegates, because I'm sure that's what they want right before they go to general conference. But I will. I'm going to send them this video. And I'm going to let them know that we had a little epiphany out in Crozet that the greatest thing that we are sending is us in them, that we are sending our beloved Virginia Annual Conference to called General Conference, that we have something here that they need to discern and they need to share so that the world can have hope. Because if you were to come and take a whirlwind tour of Virginia, you would be shocked at how different Virginia is, would you not? I had a friend from Sulphur, Louisiana, that I went, to, uh, I went to seminary with. And I remember her saying, Virginia is not the South. Virginia is not the South. This Louisiana critiquing Virginia. I said, the capital of the Confederacy was in Virginia. She goes, that's still not the South. Uh, okay. 
Then she drove home one time, and her car broke down in Danville. And she called me. She goes, I found it. I found the South. It's here. It's in Danville. I was like, yes, it is. Welcome. Right? She didn't see it in Northern Virginia. She drove around Richmond. She didn't go through. But I promise you that it is glorious just how different we are. We are so amazingly different. We show the fullness of what it is to be a Virginian. We know that here we are bound by an identity, a common core, a desire to be in fellowship in a meaningful and purposeful way. Is that not what we are asking out of Call General Conference? And that is our thrust of prayer as we move forward. And I've been sitting here, I told you, I've been waiting for God going, God, come on. Come on. I mean, you don't have to give me like the whole answer. Just give me some hope. Can you just give me like a glimpse? And the more that I prepare myself to go, the more I am assured now that I am going not to pay witness and come back. It was a hot mess and we're all just going to cry now. But instead, that I want to go there so that I can come back and testify that just when we thought all hope is lost, just when we thought that we would never have the answer because we have poured so much of ourselves into this. We have put our best and our brightest at work trying to find the way. We have been praying and discerning and dumping in all of our resources and our finances so that we would have a plan. And all of this, and I still don't think we have a plan. But I believe that what I have now the hope that Paul reminds me of, that even in the face of certain death, Paul had hope. And his hope became the foundation of the greatest religion in the world. His belief has continued to seed denomination after denomination so that Christianity itself is diversity. And the one thing that holds us all together, the one thing that holds us all together is a shared belief in the Trinity, which is in itself the union of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's irrational. Because even if I try to describe for you what the, whole, what the Trinity is, you're going to go, this makes no sense. Because the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son, but they're all God. And they're all the same. But they're not the same right? Trust me, I have had to do that so much for the Board of Ordain ministry. It's a holy mystery. It's a holy mystery, but we are committed to it. We are committed as Christians to this. That's why I can stand next to my Catholic brothers and sisters. That's why I can stand next to my Baptist brothers and sisters and my grandfather who was a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church. And at the end of the day, no matter how we felt about sacraments or female ordination or anything else, at the end of the day, it was like, well, we can all pray in the name of the Trinity. Yeah, let's just start there. Let's start there. And so unity needs to be expressed. It needs to be celebrated. It is our hope. It is our joy. It is joyful to be united with people that we would never pick, that God has cultivated something beautiful. That's why I love it here in Virginia. I love it here because anywhere I go, I'm with family because we're all Virginians. I mean, it takes them a minute to realize that I'm like that weird cousin like twice removed. I mean, it takes them some time, trust me. 
I've told the story before about the time I went to go visit one of my colleagues on the eastern shore, and I showed up in a coffee shop, and I'm standing there waiting to order my coffee, which, by the way, is just black coffee. It's not even fancy and frou-frou. I'm standing there ready to get my coffee, and the guy in front of me literally turns around and is now facing me and not the register, and he goes, where are you from? I said, what are you talking about? I said, how do you know I'm not from here? He goes, not with those shoes. <laughs> but I could be. I could be appointed to the eastern shore. I could be just as married to them as I am to you. Right? Because that's the power of the Methodist Church here in Virginia. It is a glorious gift. And I think the problem is that we didn't realize what a gift we had. That we didn't take a moment and go, you know what, we don't have all the answers, but we got something really good here. <laughs> we have something fabulous in Virginia. And we celebrate it every year at annual conference in Roanoke in June. We are going to celebrate. I'm telling you, you just come down and people watch and just listen to people talk. And you're like, wow, we're all from Virginia. This is crazy. And the thing is that technically I could be sent anywhere. I could be sent to the eastern shore. Kind of concerned how that may go. But you never know. I'm sure that they have storage space for my shoes. I could go places, and I could be there. And they would do that same thing. You know, I can still remember my first Sunday here. There were some beloved faces that were looking at me like, what have they sent us? But you know what happened? The more that we were together, the more that you realized that your heart is my heart, that Christ is mine and Christ is yours. And we have walked this path together. And we are going to walk this path together because we are United Methodists in the Virginia Annual Conference, and we are the embodiment of that in Crozet. And nothing is going to stop us from doing that. No decision, no vote, no nothing is going to stop us from being the body of Christ here in Crozet. That is not just a hope. That is a promise that Jesus Christ makes to us. And we need to move and shift our prayer that we will convey not only through our prayers, but the presence of our delegates and all that we have, that we will be sending our blessings and our good thoughts and our Holy Spirit pieces, whatever it is that we want to project toward St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, I'm sorry, my family's from there. St. Louis, Missouri. So that ultimately, the church will go, someone has got to have lived this out a little bit. Someone has had to experience what it is to be radically diverse and yet united through Jesus Christ. And now I know that any one of 22 incredible Virginians can stand up and go, I have seen it. I have experienced it. I live it. And I love it. And let me tell you about this little slice of the kingdom to come in Virginia. And brothers and sisters, now I can go with great hope in my heart. Now I can go with a burden lifted from my shoulders and I'm just eager to see world Methodism discover that once more, Virginia has something powerful and profound to say and share. And we are going to bless the world because that's what God has asked of us. Is it not? May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org 
to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.